Well, holidays like Thanksgiving are always a joy uh, because when we're not in the midst of a particular sermon series or study of the book of the Bible, uh, we have this breadth of knowledge of God's word to consider what to share. It can be uh, quite a challenge to prayerfully consider it, and it can also be a wonderful reminder there is so much that is good and sweet and wonderful and helpful and encouraging and formative uh, about God's Word and, uh, and how we get to spend our lives studying it and never exhaust its meaning and effectiveness in life. And so um, a topic like thankfulness, uh, you know, does anybody need reminder to be thankful, right? Uh, I'll raise my hand first at that one. Sometimes we just get to spend time thinking, man, just the reminder of, of being thankful. We could talk about ways to be thankful. We could talk about the benefits of a thankful heart. There's all kinds of ways that we could approach this. But today I want to speak with you about uh, the motive of thankfulness, our motive of thankfulness. Uh, we're going to still be exegetical, meaning we're going to take from the Scripture what God has said to us and not try to read into it what we want it to say. Uh, so we'll be exegetical, but not expository. We're not going to spend time just on a specific passage kind of going line by line, right? So this is a topogetical message. That's what I like to say, call it. Uh, the topic of thankfulness, the motive of thankfulness as informed and instruction by, instructed by the Word of God. So here's the question we could boil it down to. We talk about motive. Here's really what I'm getting at. Is as a Christian, as one who is a Christ follower, what drives or compels thankfulness in us? Not, we're not talking about what to be thankful for. Maybe you did that over the last few days. You sat around a table and you expressed what you were thankful for. That's good. That's great, right? Uh, always uh, a blessing. But I want to try to get a little deeper today and talk about what, what compels us as Christians to be thankful. What drives it within us? And if we don't get this, then I think we run the risk of trying to just manufacture thankfulness rather than being truly thankful. Now, admittedly, there are times in life uh, when you may not uh, feel like being thankful, right? There may be times in life when you uh, have to choose to be thankful. I get all of that. But what in the bottom line, what, what's at the basis of all of that thankfulness in our hearts? And here's the challenge of the Word of God that we must talk about. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Now, just what's your reaction to these verses? I just want you to think about it with me, right? Verse 16, rejoice always. Everybody say always. always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Three verses, kind of bullet point format here, as Paul does sometimes. But man, incredibly challenging. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you've ever wondered, and I mentioned this in the last week or two, like God's word makes it abundantly clear for us, his will, and how we are to live life. Really, we never have to question how God wants us to live. And I know you might be thinking, well, there's those you know, things about life, decisions we have to make about where to work and where to live and all that. What's God's will for me in that? Yep, and, and God gives to us wisdom principles to guide us even in that, right? But, but as far as how we should live, the, the type of person, the kind of person that we are to seek to, to be, 
The word of God makes it abundantly clear. And this is one of those places. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, friends, these are commands. These are imperatives in the Greek language. These are, these are not suggestions or recommendations, right? This isn't saying, hey, you know, what's a good restaurant to go eat? Well, I recommend. No, this, this, is, this is the will of God for you. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. There is no out in these commands. There's no like, well, yeah, but, or what if. There's no exception rule, right? There's no exception to what God has stated here. And so we have to be honest with the text and realize it causes a natural response. At least it does for me. I don't know about for you, but I think you're probably more like me than we want to think, right? But because it's a, it's, it's, it's a natural response of our heart, and, the, and that response is this, right? It's kind of the elephant in the room. There's no way. There's no way. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. I mean, how can God expect us to do that? That might be what some of you are wondering right now. Like, how, how could God expect us to do this? How can God demand this? I mean, doesn't he know how hard and difficult and discouraging life is sometimes? I mean, as I think about some of your stories, even some of what, you, what you're facing right now in life, I would go, yeah, man, like, really? God, this is what you ask in the midst of that? Yeah. Others of you, your response right now is there's no way just because you flat out don't like to be told what to do, right? And the fact that God is telling you what to do and how to live, you're just going to resist it in the first place. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why do we have this resistance in response? Why is it that our first thought maybe in reading that is like, ah, there's no way? Well, because thankfulness is not natural for us due to our sin nature. It's so many of our questions about life sometimes, I think, can, be, can just draw right back to the understanding of the gospel and realizing, friends, listen, we are born as sinners. We are born with what's called original sin. We are, we are born with a sin nature. I've mentioned it time and time again. Hopefully it's sinking in for you. Like we sin because we are sinners. Right? We don't sin and become sinners. We sin because we are sinners by nature. That's why we need Jesus because of our sin. And that's why we tend not to be thankful, because it's not natural for us according to our sinfulness. So as we journey through this today, we're going to talk about some foundational convictions of someone who lives a thankful life. Foundational convictions of someone who lives a thankful life. In other words, when these convictions, as I call them, you might just refer to them as beliefs or however you think of it, but I, I'm going to use the word conviction. When these convictions are deeply seated in the mind and the heart of a person, it always, everybody say always, always produces an attitude of thankfulness. And I try to be really careful about using all-inclusive words, okay? But it always produces, in other words, what I have seen in others, what I have experienced in my own life is when these truths, when these convictions are deeply seated in your mind and heart, like you hold on to them in life, 
It always produces thankfulness. Let's talk about them. Biblical convictions of a thankful person. Number one, everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. Is that your conviction? Is that what you hold to in life? Everything comes from God. Acts chapter 17 is one place we could turn to reflect upon this. The Apostle Paul is speaking to uh, an arena of philosophers and so forth, and he's noticing there in Athens, Greece at the time, uh, many of what they have as, as idols to gods. And he says, For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Well, therefore, you worship as an unknown. This I proclaim to you. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, I'm going to share with you my conviction, my belief of who this God is. The one whom you say you cannot know or don't know, I know. And here's who he is. The God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man. We're going to stop right there for a second. Did you catch the phrase? The God who made the world and everything in it. Paul's conviction was this God Almighty, the God of the Bible, he created everything. He is creator. He is almighty God. He is Lord of heaven and earth. We we get right here from the get-go from Paul, like God created everything. Everything comes from him. In the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 36, Paul states this, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Why? Because he created everything comes from him. And not only is it from God, but it is for his glory. That's why he made it. That's why he made you and me, for his glory. So conviction number one that we could spend all day talking about is everything comes from God. Everything. Do you hold that to be true? Conviction number two of a thankful person is I can't live this life on my own. I can't live this life on my own. Can't, you might say? Yes, can't. It's not shouldn't or it's best not to live this life on my own. It's you can't. I know it can be a challenge to arrive at this point, right, because we so naturally conclude that we live this life by our own strength, right? In that sin nature we have, what we so naturally want to believe is that we live life based on our own strength, our own ability. And when we're honest, right, we know that, like, death is something we're not going to escape, right? When we're willing to be honest with, like, that, yeah, I can't control my life so much that I'm never going to die, right? But, but when I li- as I live life, like, it's me. It's me. That's our natural tendency. Listen to what Paul says that objects to that. If we continue in Acts chapter 17, verse 25, this God, right, who, who has made everything, he says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and, say it with me, everything. And he made, right, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him, catch this, in him we live and move and have our being, 
even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Paul uses a couple of statements drawing from uh, other, other sources to drag, say, draw them in of like, hey, this is what you see. Yeah, this is true. And it's true about the unknown God that you worship, right? In him, we live and move and have our being. Friend, you can't live life on your own. The very breath that you have in your lungs today is because God has gifted that to you by his grace. In him, we live and move and have our being. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So an understanding of God's common grace what we refer to as common grace, meaning grace that we all experience, whether believer or unbeliever, whether Christian or not, all of us experience a measure of God's common grace every day. Every day. The breath you breathe, right? The life you live, the mind that you have, any ability that you have, the blessing of any circumstance that there may be in life, that coming from God. I love dwelling on Deuteronomy chapter 8, and again, I love it so much, I've probably, I think I've shared it with you multiple times, but uh, this is where my mind goes in, in, this, in this thought. Deuteronomy chapter 8, the context is the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God sets them free. Now listen, here's part of the power of that. How did, how did the Israelites uh, gain their freedom? It wasn't by their own might and power. It was simply by the power of God who brought plagues upon Egypt. Ultimately, the, the death of the firstborn, which led Pharaoh to say, okay, go, you can take your people. And so that was all the work of God. And as God brings them out into the desert, he reminds them, of, hey, when I lead you to the promised land, here's going to be your tendency. You're, you're going to tend to forget me. So he says, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Now, all of Deuteronomy 8 is great to reflect on in thinking about this relationship with God. This is just a snippet of it to go, man, it is God who even gives us the ability to think, right? It is God who permits us with the ability to, to work with our hands, to do whatever it is that, that enables us to gain wealth. Who has given you that ability? God has. And the conviction of your heart that spreads into just a heart of thankfulness is to realize and to, to, to hold firmly to this fact, I cannot live this life on my own. It is through God and God alone. That's a conviction that compels thankfulness. And it furthermore drives us to our reality of needing Jesus as Savior, right? I mean, that's the fullness of it to go, man, I, I can't earn my salvation I can never become the type of person that is necessary to, to win the favor of God and, and salvation. I can't because of this sin thing, right, that, that dwells within me. Like, I can't. So when we bow our knee and we come by, by, by faith in Jesus Christ, that gift that God has given to us by his grace, and we bow our knee and we say, God, I need you, and I need Jesus to be my Savior. That's a, that's a conviction that spurs thankfulness within us. 
But what tends to happen, right, as we live life, even for some of you that have been saved for many years, maybe you remember back in those early days when you had this fervor about you when you first came to know Jesus, man, you just, you were, you were lit up because you, you were like, man, Jesus saved me. And you, you sensed that transformation of your life. You were brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And, and that excited you. And maybe you even told other people about Jesus. But what's tended to happen in the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years? It's like this creeping in of complacency and this creeping in of, of thinking I've done I've accomplished it's me we're just like the Israelites and just as God warned them so we are to be warned so hold dearly to this conviction I cannot live life on my own a third conviction of a thankful person is I am not in control God is these first three tie very closely together, but different angles uh, of, of belief about God. I am not in control. God is. Romans chapter 8 is where I'd like to go to reflect on this. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's part of God's grace toward us, that the very Spirit of God is interceding for you, right, praying for you. And he who searches hearts knows that what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, let's finish it out through verse 30, for those whom He foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, also, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's God's work, friend. Right? That gift of salvation. And notice what it says there in the middle of that passage in verse 28. For we knew... Uh, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What is the good that all things work in your life? As a Christ follower, what is the good? that all? Because if we're honest with it again, right, there are some circumstances in your life where you're like, that is not good, <laughs> right? But what is, so what is the good? That God is working. He answers it for us. To be conformed to the image of Christ the Son. You see, the pursuit of the Christian life is not to uh, live for God so that he gives us all manners of comfort and convenience. Living the Christian life means our pursuit is in any and every circumstance we are seeking to become more and more like Jesus. Conformed to the image of the Son. That's what we are called to as followers of Jesus. And so as we think about this, we can reflect on this example of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul had what he referred to as a thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And notice here what he states at the beginning of what we're going to read. He states it twice. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited. 
because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, right? Paul acknowledged, like, man, God did something special in him. God was using him in a special and unique way. And, and instead of it causing pride and arrogance and boasting in his life, he's like, man, to keep me from the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was giving me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Here it is again, to keep me from becoming conceited. You think Paul understood why this existed? Did Paul arrive at a conclusion as to why this thorn was present in his life? Even though it was annoying or a nuisance, whatever, we don't know what the thorn was. But obviously it was, it was, it was enough that it bothered him in life. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, just like you would, right? Lord, take this away, right? That it should leave me, verse 9. But he said to me, here was God's reply, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's like, man, if it's, if it's through my weakness that God's strength and power and glory is made known in my life, then, man, so be it. I'm going to stop praying for it to be removed, and I'm going to start praying that God uses it to help me see him more clearly and to be transformed into who he is. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's a totally upside-down way of thinking about things, isn't it? But yet, you see, when we have a conviction in our life that God is at work, when we have a conviction that I am not in control, God is, and this God whom we just sang about a bit ago is a good, good father who is seeking to conform us and to shape us into a, a, a person that glorifies and honors him more fully, into Christ-likeness, then we can go, thank you for those refining moments. Thank you for those challenging times of life in which, because it's in those things that my soul a sense is being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Your grace is sufficient for me. So we've looked at three. Everything comes from God. I can't live this life on my own. I am not in control. God is a fourth biblical conviction of a thankful person is that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, if you've been with us, that sounds familiar because we just talked about that a bit in our study of 1 Timothy I included it here not to be repetitive. I included it here because I believe it's foundationally true to the heart of a thankful person. Someone who has truly grasped that my pursuit in life is godliness with contentment. And in that, there is great gain. It's not about the stuff of life. It's not about working my way up the, you know, the, the ladder there of success in my job. It's not about uh, you know, all of these kind of uh, uh, circumstantial things that we tend to want to, to find our happiness in. No, godliness, pursuing what represents God well in my life, living in that way, godliness with contentment. Being okay with what I have and where I am. That doesn't mean we just become bumps on a log that don't pursue anything, right? But the, it's the heart issue of saying, God, yes, I would love to, to receive that promotion at work. But if they choose someone else, I can be okay with that. Right? I would, I would love to have 
you know, some other things of this world. I, could, I would love to, but God, if you say no to those things or, or, or whatever it might be relationally, right? I, I would love to have a, some of you that are single in the room, I would love to have a wife. I would love to have a husband right now. But God, every day you give me breath, I'm going to pursue living like Christ and be okay with what you've given to me. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I love what 1 Timothy says there in verse 7 even. It says, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of it. There you go. Plain and simple, right? I mean, in one regard we would say, why does it matter what I gain in this life if I lose my soul? Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's conviction number four. That compels thankfulness. Conviction number five. Expressing appreciation for what God and others have done is a must. A thankful person is convinced that I must express my appreciation. It's not an option. It's a must. Expressing it to God for all that he has done, right? The gospel as the core foundation of that, that God loved me so much that he chose to send his son to die in my place and he raised him to life so that I can have eternal life. Man, we ought to be expressing thanks to God every day for just that truth alone, if nothing else. And then expressing it to others, people that... Help us, people that bless us, people that, that, that say kind words to us, whatever it might be, that, that we are quick to give thanks. The Psalms are filled with expressions of praise and thanks. Even in the midst of lament or sadness and sorrow, there's thankfulness. Psalm 105 verse 1 expresses this way, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Not just me saying thank you to God, you know, in the quietness, but make known his deeds among the peoples. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, for this reason, he says, Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul's expressing his appreciation for those in Ephesus and the faith that they have exhibited, right? Expressing. Now, Again, what's the nature of our hearts? There's a really powerful story in the scriptures uh, at a time when Jesus healed 10 people. And they all had the same disease, leprosy. Now, leprosy was a disease that meant you became a social outcast. You, became, right, you couldn't be in any public environments. You had to even leave your family. You were, I mean, it was, it was an all-encompassing kind of disease where it affected you not only physically, but it affected you emotionally, spiritually. Like, it, was, it was an all-life kind of thing. And Jesus chose to heal 10 lepers. 10. Do you remember how many came back to say thank you? One. Now, if, you, if God so radically changed your life, right? I mean, when Jesus chose to heal these individuals, like it, it, was, it meant radical change in their life. Would you come back to say thank you? I'd like to think I would. 
right? And I hope you would too. But here's the reality. The part of the power of that, that story is that nine didn't. What does that tell us about the nature of our human heart, right? In that sin nature, thankfulness is not natural. It's something we have to work at. And so this conviction of saying, I must express appreciation to God and others for what they do and have done, that, that is a conviction that, that, get li- that gets lived out then every day of, of not just, you know, in those moments like Thanksgiving, right? But, but every day by being willing to express, just saying thank you to, to somebody that holds a door open for you or somebody that serves you at a, at, a, at a restaurant or whatever it might be, a heart of thankfulness is like, man, I must express this because I want to fight against what is my natural tendency to not express thankfulness. Conviction number six, lastly, thankfulness is a, is a product of right theology, not life circumstance. Right? This is a conviction. What, what brings about thankfulness in our lives? It's not the right circumstances. Now, I, you, rightly so, probably the last few days, as you have had opportunity to express thanks, Again, maybe around the dinner table or whatever. Uh, much of what you express thanks for, my guess is, was we would define it as circumstantial. Right? I'm thankful that, you know, our family's healthy. I'm thankful that we get to be together. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for whatever, right? The, like, if you think about it, th- those are, are matters that are circumstantial. And that is well and good to express thanks for those things. But that is not what produces thankfulness in us. If we're not careful and we just think about thankfulness in terms of our circumstances, that's what, that's what begins to make our thankfulness kind of uh, uh, um, um, circumstantial and, and at, a, at a superficial kind of level. Right? It's, it's about right the, It's about these things that we just talked about. Right theology. Right thinking about who God is and who I am and what he has done what I have received from him. And this is where we get into the difference of thankfulness of an unbeliever and a believer. Let me ask you a question. Can an unbeliever be thankful? Yes. Right? Yes. And I would say to a degree. To a degree. To a measure. For an unbeliever, they, they will not find the logic or reason of, as we talked about in 1 Thessalonians 5, they will not find the logic or reason of rejoicing how often? always, right, praying without ceasing and, and being thankful in all circumstances. There, there, for an unbeliever, there's no real reason to go that far with it. So for them, it's, it tends to be circumstantial. There is no greater reason or cause for them than their circumstances. Circumstances that bring benefit to them in the, is the reason for thankfulness. But for the believer, there is a reason beyond circumstances. That motivates us to give thanks in the midst of every circumstance. That enables us to rejoice always and be thankful in all circumstances. It's about our theology. It's about who we believe God is and his active nature in our life. It's about right theology, not life circumstances. In Philippians 4, 4 through 7, Apostle Paul expresses the same thoughts 
that we looked at in 1 Thessalonians 5 in this way. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He doesn't say don't ever ask anything of God. He says, no, when you come to God and you ask for certain things that you would like to, to ask your good heavenly Father for, just be sure to do it with thanksgiving. Why? Because you're confessing he is a good and mighty God who has blessed you already and maybe will bless you with what you're asking for as well. Verse 7, and the peace of God, right? To approach God in this way with this heart, rejoicing always and with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? Convictions of a thankful person. There's others we could have talked about today, but these I felt were very foundational and formative for us. And notice throughout each of these, the common thread, right? The common thread through every one of these convictions is humility. It's humility. Realizing who God is and who we are. Humbling ourselves to come underneath his authority and his grace and his purpose and his plan in life. And so, what I ask of you today in response to these things is just to pray through these convictions. Are these your convictions? Maybe you need some time later today to affirm them in your heart and mind. And as you do, I think what you'll see happen is that thankfulness will just come from that. As you confess these things and hold dearly to them, thankfulness will become part of your life. Um, I uh, always find it interesting in talking about thankfulness to acknowledge the fact that thankfulness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Some of you, if you're newer to the Scriptures, you may not know what I'm talking about, but the Bible speaks of the fact that when the Spirit of God who dwells within us, right, when we when we keep ourselves in step with the Spirit, that there are, are naturally things that, that come forth. Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the nine that are specifically mentioned. And I always find it fascinating that as much as the Scripture focuses on thankfulness, that that's not a fruit of the Spirit. And maybe the nine aren't to be exhaustive, right? So maybe thankfulness, we would say, is a fruit of the Spirit. But, it, but, but at another level, I think it's something where we look at and go, it is the work of the Spirit in us, but it's also a hard work of ours to pursue an attitude of thankfulness. Through holding these convictions um, and living in such a way, um, it's a discipline of our heart and mind uh, that grows upon right theology um, and right understanding of who God is and who we are. So may the Spirit of God give us strength in that pursuit. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. We're going to finish with a song today. Father, as we think about these things, we're grateful, uh, thankful for uh, your word that guides us, um, thankful for 
the clarity of it, that you help us understand how you want us to live as our creator God. And your desire for us, your call to us is to rejoice always and to pray without ceasing, to come to you at all times with thankfulness in all circumstances. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us as we pursue that calling. May we not look at it and say, it's just too hard. There's no way. May we not resist it. But Lord, I pray that we would build our life upon firm convictions, a firm foundation of Christ. And in that, Lord, see thankfulness just become something that's part of us. For your glory and honor, in Jesus' name we pray.